uh, in the Pew Bibles in front of you on page 988 and 1000, respectively. So I'll give you a second to turn to Ecclesiastes 3, 1. Ecclesiastes 3, 1. There is a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to uproot, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to tear down and a time to build, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to scatter stones and a time to gather them a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to search and a time to give up, a time to keep and a time to throw away, a time to tear and a time to mend, a time to be silent and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. What do workers gain from their toil? I've seen the burden God has laid on the human race. He has made everything beautiful in his time, he has also said eternity in the human heart, yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. I know that there is nothing better for people than to be happy and to do good while they live, that each of them may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all their toil. This is the gift of God. I know that everything God does will endure forever. Nothing can be added to it and nothing taken from it. God does it so that people will fear him. Whatever is has already been and whatever will be has been before, and God will call the past to account. And then when you flip ahead to chapter 12. Chapter 12, verse 13. Now all has been heard. Here's the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the duty of all mankind. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. This is the word of the Lord for his people. Hey, everyone. So that was Adam Kilgus. The second Adam is Jesus Christ. But this morning... The second Adam that will preach is going to be Adam Darbone. If you've been here for a long time, um, you'll know that Adam was an intern in 2011-2012. He was here for a whole year. While he was here, he preached 17 sermons. Only one here, because I'm merciful to you. Um, but he preached at all kinds of different churches in our internship program and fellow program. There's lots of mostly smaller churches in the region which open their pulpits to our interns so that our interns and fellows can preach numerous sermons before they're inflicted upon a congregation. Um, in terms of spiritual leadership. Um, over the last um, 12 years that I've been here, we've had numerous interns that are all over the country now. Um, and at, but Adam was one of the first ones, and so this is a real blessing for us to be able to hear him. He's been pastoring at a church in San Francisco since he's um, graduated from seminary some years back. He's been there seven or eight years. I'm sure he'll share something about his family. Um, but yeah, so it's, it, for me, it's a great privilege to have interns and fellows right now to have been doing this for 12 years and then to get a chance to hear where Adam is just is almost not quite the age that I was when I came here as a senior pastor at 32. Now he's probably at least 
16. So um, <laughs> why don't you welcome Adam and listen to him uh, diligently and s- see what the Lord um, can do in your mind and heart through his message. Oh, sorry. And then, yeah, you can clap for him. <laughs> and then after he preaches and prays and after we respond with musical worship, we're gonna, you're going to get to hear from a couple of uh, Adam Kilgus, who's a present fellow, and we're going to have a couple other interns in place of what would have been AMA today um, to just hear a little bit about like how this work that we do um, really affects the young people that go through it and how, um, how it ministers to a lot of the college students that come through this, this city. Great. Last time I preached here, it was like, I don't know, almost a decade ago, and Nick introduced me and told, you, told everyone here uh, that it, this is a teaching church, kind of like a teaching hospital, and the implication was you don't want to show up in August because you might die. <laughs> and then he let me get up here and preach, so that was very nice, man. Um, appreciate that. Uh, hey, it, it really is an honor and a privilege to be back here. Uh, I was here as an intern a decade ago, and then I went to seminary and then uh, moved back. I'm from California, moved back to California. Um, my wife and I got married right around that time, and my wife Michelle is here with me. Uh, we left our one-and-a-half-year-old son with the grandparents so that we could have a nice weekend with Nick and Lexi and others. And so um, this is my family. We live, uh, we live in Burlingame, which is right by the San Francisco airport, if you know where that's at. And, uh, and I pastor at a church called New North Church in San Francisco, and I've been there for seven years. And so I'm happy to be here, and really it is an honor to be back. It's fun to see a lot of new people, but it's really fun to see a lot of folks that have been here for a long time that I knew a long time ago. So, um, hey, I want to start with a question this morning, and the question is this. What will you do in your life that will last? What will you do in your life that will last? You see, one of my hobbies is studying Roman history, and the Roman Empire was this amazing place of human learning and intelligence and ingenuity. Roman engineers built and builders were amazing. They built things that historians and engineers today still don't know how they did without power tools and cranes and things. They built aqueducts that traveled for hundreds of miles at just the slightest but consistent ground downgrade that watered entire cities. They built harbors in deep water with massive, perfectly cut stones that they sunk offshore. They collected the best and the brightest people, the highest learning, scholarship, philosophy from every culture that they conquered, which was a lot of them, if you know your Roman history. They built libraries for them and put all of this knowledge into these libraries. And they progressed in many ways further than any other human culture and civilization had to that point. And then, basically overnight, in historical terms, overnight, it all went away. Europe entered what historians call, uh, used to call the Dark Ages, and it took a thousand years before human beings could accomplish the same level of knowledge and engineering again. A thousand years. And it was, I mean, it was like that. All that the Romans had accomplished was forgotten. And it's, it's sort of with that backdrop, I want to ask you again, what will you do in your life that will last? Right? Not that, not that will just last a few years beyond your funeral or that will last into, you know, that will, what you accomplish will impact your kids or your grandkids. But what about their grandkids or their grandkids' grandkids? or their grandkids, 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 right? A thousand years from now, what will you have done in this life? What will you have accomplished that will still remain? And you see, we're going to look at a passage this morning in the book of Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes is a book of the Bible. It's in what's called the Old Testament, which is kind of the first part of the Bible. 
and, um, and it's part of what's the, the Hebrew wisdom tradition. And the book is written by a man who's trying to teach his son to be wise, and he's trying to teach his son to live a good life. And in doing so, in order to do that, he introduces the teachings of a very wise man that he calls Kohelet, which just means preacher or teacher in Hebrew. And so, and, and Kohelet has looked deeply at the world, he's looked deeply at his life, he's looked deeply at the life of others around him, at history and philosophy, and he's gathered all of this, and he's put together uh, this book or this, this series of chapters that wisely explain from his perspective how to live the best life possible. And most of the book is the teachings of this man, Kohelet, including the passage that, that we just read in chapter 3 that we're going to look at this morning. And in this passage, Kohelet answers the question, what will you do in your life that will last? And, and he says this. He has kind of a depressing answer. And he, sa- he says, nothing. He says, nothing, which is, which is depressing, no doubt. But, but what Kohelet does in this morning's passage is he, he shows us that, that nothing in this life really lasts. Like all the stuff we think is going to last for a long time doesn't last nearly as long as we think it's going to. Even the great accomplishment of our lives that we think really matter will not only be erased with the passage of time, but with enough time will actually be reversed. Like the opposite will happen. And he says there's nothing you can do to stop it. The company you've built, the work you did, the money you collected, right, the pleasure you achieved, the legacy you left, all of it with enough time will make make it all meaningless eventually, right? Time rolls on. And this is a question that I have personally wrestled with uh, for the better part of two decades. It's a question that's haunted me, and the exploration of this question has really shaped probably my life and faith more than any other question, right? What will I do in my life that will last? And so whether you're like me this morning, you've been wrestling with this idea for a long time, or, or you've ha- just had this nagging sense that you've been trying to successfully live a life that's worth something, that's going to matter, that's going to last beyond you, but you just have this nagging sense like it's not working, you're being unsuccessful at it. Or if you're just even skeptical of this idea, my prayer this morning is that you'll discover what I have the last two decades, that you'll discover from our passage that Koheleth is right, that time makes everything meaningless except for one very large exception. And so I want to dive into his argument this morning and so I'm, I'm going to actually reread some of the passage this morning just um, because I think it's worth hearing again. So he, first, Kohelis says, he says there's a proper time for everything. He's going to describe the world as it is. And, um, and so these are really often um, Kohelis' most famous words. There's a good chance you've heard these, even if you're not, don't consider yourself religious because it's often read at funerals. Um, and so this is what he says, starting in, in verse 1. He says, there's a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens. There's a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to uproot, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to tear down, and a time to build, a time to weep, a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to scatter stones and a time to gather them, a time to embrace and a time to re- refrain from embracing, a time to search and a time to give up, a time to keep and a time to throw away, a time to tear and a time to mend, a time to be silent and a time to speak, a time for love and a time for, to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. Now, this is a descriptive poem. So Kohel is not saying that this is the way things should be. 
He's not making moral pronouncements. He's not saying, hey, there's a time in your life that you should love people, and then there's another time in your life that you should hate people. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is that these events in this poem, these are just simply things that are true. This is just true about life, right? So each of these events is going to happen in, in your life. These dichotomies represent the full spectrum of the human experience. In other words, like, in other words, what he's saying is, this is just, this is just reality. This is just the way the world works, right? There's a time that you're going to be born, and then there's a time that you're going to die, and there's nothing you can do to stop it. That's just the way the world works. That's the way it is, right? There's a time to weep and mourn, and then there's a time to celebrate. So there's going to be things in your life that are exciting and are worth celebrating, and that are going to bring you joy, and then there's going to be other times in your life that are going to make you weep and mourn and make you sad. That's just the way life is, right? There's a time to scatter stones and a time to gather them. People build stuff. They build buildings. And then later, they tear them down and, and they, or they simply just fall apart. There's a time for embracing and time refrain, for, to re- refrain from embracing, right? Like COVID, for instance, um, right? Peace and war, love and hate, killing and healing. These are all just dichotomies that represent the full spectrum of the human experience. This is just, this is the realities of life. And as I mentioned, it sounds like a beautiful poem, but the beautiful flowing verse of this poem betrays, I think, the tragic underlying message, which is that there's a proper time for everything, that whatever happens won't last. The opposite was eventually going to come back. Right? And the Roman Empire, as it transitioned into early medieval Europe, is a perfect example of this. Right? Everything they did was reversed for a thousand years. I mean, there were like Germanic tribes in Europe just a few hundred years after the Roman Empire fell that said, who, what giants could have built these things, right? Like, I mean, it was, it was completely reversed, right? Their engineering feats were forgotten. Their libraries were lost. Their buildings fell into disrepair. Time rolled on because nothing lasts forever, even though they thought it would last forever. There's a time to gather stones. There's a time to scatter them. Nothing lasts. Time makes everything meaningless. And all you have to do is give it enough time. You just extend that horizon far enough out. Just play that logic out in your head, and eventually time makes anything meaning, everything meaningless. And I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, yeah, 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 of course that happened to the Romans, right? Those ancient people. That could never happen to us, to our society, right? Not after the progress we've made. There's two problems with that logic. The first is um, this has happened to just about every society that's ever existed in human history. So that's, you know, you have history sort of against you on that. And the second is, the Romans thought they were going to last forever. The Romans thought those buildings were going to go on forever. Like, of course they did. And of course we do, right? Why would we think otherwise? We're in this time of progress and we move forward and look at how far we've come in the last couple hundred years. But the reality is, it's proved over and over and over and over again throughout human history. Nothing lasts forever. Time rolls on. The stones that were gathered together to make great things are scattered again, only to be gathered by later generations to make something else. And so on. Time rolls on. Those who were once born die, and then eventually they're forgotten. It it struck me as I was um, preparing for the sermon, I thought, you know what, I don't, I, if you asked me what my great-grandparents' names were, I couldn't tell you them. I don't, I'm not sure if I could tell you one of them. I maybe could tell you one of them, right? Much less anything they've done, they did in their life. And those are people that are like related to me that are not that, it's not that long ago, right? 
I have no idea what their parents' names were or their grandparents' names were or what they did, right? And some of us, some of you may have longer family memories, but there is some point, right? There's some, you can go back some number of years or some number of generations where you no longer know the people who are related to you or what they did. That will be true of you as well in later generations. At some point in time, we'll all be forgotten. All that we've accomplished in our life will be forgotten. Those who once celebrated will mourn and vice versa. Those who once loved will hate and those who once hated will love. What was once planted is uprooted. What was once cherished and kept is thrown away. Time rolls on and, and, and there's a proper time for everything. And so as, as Kohel explains this and he, he describes reality, you're left with this feeling of like, man, what, what should we do about that? How, how are we supposed to respond to that? How are we supposed to feel about that? if that's what reality is. And then the next section, Kohela says, so there's no purpose to anything in the world. Time makes everything meaningless. So here's what you should do. And, um, and he's frustrated and he's distraught. And so he picks it up in verse nine and he says this. He says, what do workers gain from their toil? I've seen the burden of God that God has laid on the human race. And then comes these two very beautiful lines that are like the kind of lines that you like put up in your bathroom in a frame somewhere. Um, he says, he's made everything beautiful in its time. And he set eternity in the human heart. I mean, isn't that, just, isn't that just beautiful? It is, except it's really met as a frustration. Because the next line is this, yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. So here's what he's saying. He's saying that God has placed this desire for eternity in the human heart. He has given us a sense that there's beauty in the process of time and but we can't see it. We, we're, our scope is too limited to see the whole thing. We have these desires to see the big picture, and we know that there is a big picture, and yet we're stuck in this moment, in this short lifetime, right? And, and I don't know about you, I feel like that sometimes. I, I, I have this sense that I'm like, that I'm stuck in this moment, that I'm stuck in this time, and in this current event in my life, and I know that there's bigger cultural trends going on. I know there's major, uh, major upheaval happening and things. I know history books will be written and there will be these, these large narratives written about it, but I can't, and I can get like a little glimpse of that, but I can't really fully see what it's going to be. I can't get the full picture, and so I'm trying to live in a way that is good and is worthwhile and that it will last, and that's, but because I'm, I'm so limited in my scope, I can't actually see enough to do that well enough to actually live a life that's going to last. And so what should we do in response? Here's what Kohel says. Here's what he's, he, said, he says, okay, so he, we're all frustrated. Our life, time's going to make everything meaningless. What should we do in response? Here's what he says. He says, I know that there's nothing better for people than to be happy and do good while they live, that each of them may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all their toil, this is the gift of God. Right? So here's what he's saying. He's saying, in other words, resign yourself to what you have. You're stuck. Time's going to make everything meaningless anyway. There's nothing you can do. There's no getting out of it. So you might as well enjoy the time you have. Try to find some satisfaction in your work. You know, do, do some good things in your life. Have some fun, eat, drink, be merry, right? Eat good food, drink good wine, right? Like just enjoy your life as best you can. Your accomplishments aren't gonna last, but, but enjoy accomplishing them because, 
Because this is really, that's the gift of God. You can enjoy your time while you're here at least. Um, and that word, he uses gift. He says, this is the gift of God. That word gift, it's, it reminds me a little bit of like a, a little girl who just desperately wants a dog for Christmas. I mean, she asks every Santa at every mall. Her parents, she like will not shut up about it all year. She, all she wants is this dog for Christmas. And when Christmas morning comes, there's a box under the tree and she opens it up and she has a stuffed animal of a dog, right? And it's kind of like, hey, this is, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're never going to get a real dog. You're never going to get a real dog. But enjoy the stuffed animal. It's soft. You can cuddle with it, right? It's nice. So, so in, at least enjoy that and it'll be something. And that's kind of what he's talking about. That's kind of what Kyle is talking about. He's saying, Look, listen, your life, this is the gift of God. Like, you get, you get something at least. It's soft. It's nice. You can find some satisfaction in your work and, and, and eat good food, and it'll be great. It'll be okay, you know? And so then Kohelth gets to his main point of his reaction and his observation. He says, I know everything God does will endure forever. Nothing can be added and nothing can be taken away. God does it so people will fear him. Whatever is, has already been, Whatever will be, has been before, and God will call the past into account. So do you see what he's saying? He's saying, time makes everything meaningless. God's in control of everything. You can't do anything that is outside of God's control. There's nothing you can accomplish that hasn't been accomplished before. You just can't remember that it was accomplished before because you, you're so two limited scope. And there's nothing you will accomplish that won't be accomplished again. And those people will forget. They won't even know that you accomplished it. They'll think they're the first ones. And you just can't see it because you're too limited in scope because your life is so, it's so finite. It's so, you're so rooted in this one moment in history. But time, the expanse of time makes everything meaningless. And so the best you can do is just try to enjoy the time you've got. Try not to think too much about it, okay? And, and if we're honest, it's really the same conclusion. And by the way, it's a good conclusion. It's, it's the right conclusion. It's a wise conclusion. Like, if we're honest, it's the same conclusion that our culture and many of us have come to as well, right? And it's been said in all kinds of different ways from, from carpe diem to seize the moment, YOLO, right? Like, it, it lo- it's been said in all kinds of different ways, but the prevailing wisdom of the day and the prevailing wisdom of Kohela is this. Eat, drink, and be merry. Just enjoy what you can. Try to enjoy your work. Try to enjoy your life. Go on good vacations. Eat delicious food. Drink good wine. Binge watch Netflix. Go out. Do whatever it takes to make you happy. That's the best you can do. And so you may as well do that. Which is true. That's good advice. If all you have is what's under the sun. If all there is is this life and there's nothing beyond it, that is the best way you can live. If there's nothing beyond this, time is going to make everything meaningless anyway. And, And so you see... Kohelis is a very wise man. He's done a lot of study. He's very educated. But he's speaking from a particular perspective. Namely, and he, and he says so in, in, the, in the book of Ecclesiastes, he says so multiple times um, that he's speaking of the perspective of someone who's looking at this life. The, the phrase he uses is under the sun, right? So he's focused on this life and nothing beyond it. Beyond it, he's looking at our world and our lives as they happen purely under the sun. That is like sort of without the heavens, without a, a, a divine view. And so back in verse one, he says, there's a time for everything, right? There's a season for every activity under the heavens. But the narrator of the book of Ecclesiastes, I told you that this book's a, a kind of a confusing book to people. Um, but so 
most of the book is Koheleth's teaching, but there's this narrator who's using the teaching of Koheleth to teach his son how to live a good life. So at the very beginning and then at the very end, the narrator breaks in, and he's going he's gonna to share his perspective with his son because he sees the world a little differently. He knows that Koheleth is a wise teacher, and his son needs to hear his teaching to understand his wisdom. But he also wants to know, his son to know that there's more to life than just what's under the sun. And so he breaks in at the end, and this is in Ecclesiastes uh, 12 that we read, and he breaks in at, at the end in Ecclesiastes 12, and he says this in verses 13 and 14. He says, now all has been heard. Here's the conclusion of the matter. Right? Son, listen to me. This is it. This is the whole point. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the duty of all mankind. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether, good, whether it's good or evil. You see, there's another way to live besides just trying to enjoy life as much as you can, never being fully satisfied, just trying to get as much satisfaction out of it as you can. There's a more purposeful way to live, and that is to live for God's will in your life, to keep God's commandments and to lean into his revealed will for your life, right? Because if you just live, just try to live, enjoy life, you end up frustrated, and time will render all that you do ultimately meaningless. Just give it enough time. But if you live for God's will, things are different. And, and, and in a couple of ways. First, I think you'll, what you'll find is actually more enjoyment and fulfillment, which is counterintuitive to a lot of people who have not kind of taken a first or second step into the Christian faith. They feel like God's going to take away all their enjoyment and fulfillment. But what you find, the, the deeper in you go, is actually you get more enjoyment and fulfillment. But I, what I think is actually more important, at least for me, is that your accomplishments will last in ways that they wouldn't otherwise. Right, so you may not be able to see the whole big picture, but God is working this big and beautiful story. He's telling his story over the course of generations and millennia, not over the course of years. And you have an opportunity then to be a, a small part, but a part nonetheless of what God is doing in the world. By living according to his reveal, revealed will, you fold yourself into what he is doing. And your story becomes part of his story. And as Kohelis has already said, what you, what, uh, what, what you do when you become, a, uh, what you do becomes a part of what God does. And what God, as Kohelis has already pointed out, everything that God does will endure forever. And so if you're participating in what God is doing, and you're a part of what God is doing, then what you are doing will last forever. At least what you are doing in regards to uh, God's will. And I think that kind of begs a question, a, an application question, which is, how do you actually participate in this? Like, how do you participate in God's will? Um, and uh, it's actually less complicated than you think. Jesus was pretty clear about that. There's all sorts of things in the Bible that talk about that. The particulars change from person to person, but, and moment to moment. But in general, the will of God for your life is not a mystery. It's things like make disciples of all nations and be a witness to what God has done in your life and to your friends and your coworkers and live a holy life that's pleasing to him, a life set apart according to his moral standards. Do justice, care for the poor, be peacemakers, love others, seek the voice of the Holy Spirit, right? Like the Bible's actually pretty clear about a lot of that stuff. Um, now, what gets confusing is when actual life starts coming your way, how does, this, how does this work out really practically in your life, in your particular life circumstances? And frankly, most of you, I don't know at all. So I'm not going to pretend to know in your life circumstances exactly how that should work out. 
Um, but I will encourage you this. I, I, I was thinking about this a lot, um, and there's a, there's a lot of different ways you can go with this, but um, as I was preparing to preach here and come back here after a decade, um, I, I want to encourage you to take this as your first step to actually to just get plugged into the life of this church really deeply, right? So wherever you're, wherever you're at, some of you, like, maybe this is your first Sunday or whatever, like, take one step forward. Uh, maybe you've been coming here for 30 years. Just take another step forward um, to get plugged in here. And, and listen, I got no ulterior motives here. I, I, uh, I don't attend this church. I don't live here. I'll never know uh, what you do. But, but just speaking from personal experience, this church can and will be a vehicle to helping you live a life that matters, a life that lasts. When I came here 11 years ago, I was, I was straight out of college. I had a lot of grand ideas about what I wanted to do with my life. Nick thought those were funny. Um, and I, I knew Jesus was going to be a significant part of my life, and I knew and a significant part of that. But as most people who have stepped into adult life find, it's harder than you think, um, and it can be really difficult and complicated and, and confusing. And so you can dream big all you want, but you actually have to live your day, your life on a day-to-day basis then, right? Which, um, and, it, and to do that in a way that matters and will last, in a way that will accomplish something that's worth accomplishing and won't simply be eroded by time, is actually really hard to do. And it can, it can often feel really tedious, and you can also, it can often feel like, am I re- like, is what I'm doing really going to matter? Because you can't really see beyond, you can't really see the, the, what the small things of your life, how they're going to affect the future. Sometimes it's hard to tell if what you're doing will actually lead to that end. And even if you know that following Jesus is the key to that, the ins and outs of day-to-day life, the, the specific circumstances of your life that arise will make this difficult. And those can be crises in your life, or those can just be like your baby pooped again, and you have to change another diaper. And that affects how much you can do. Um, Right? And so how should you parent your kids? What does it actually look like to love your neighbor when your neighbor's like a wacko and kind of a jerk? Right? Right? What what should you do when you're frustrated with a coworker or a roommate or your boss makes a boneheaded decision that you knew he shouldn't have done or she shouldn't have done? What should you do when you meticulously lay out your retirement plans and then a global recession hits? or your college years are ransacked by a global pandemic. It's, it sounds really easy and grand to live a life that matters and live a life that lasts, but then, like, stuff happens. And at least, and so it, it's, it's not, and at least for me, this church helped me do that immeasurably. Um, and specifically, Nick and Lexi, right? Because I, I, when I interned here, I lived in, in Nick and Lexi's basement. With the, they let me live in their house. They had three young kids at the time. They fed me. They took me on family vacations. They let me see the good, bad, and ugly of lives of trying to, as I, as I got to watch and process with them, of, of as they tried to live their lives as best as possible by the power of the Holy Spirit in a way that would last. And 10 years, 10 years later, I, I, so I left 10 years ago, I bet I think about things that either Nick or Alexi said to me or that people in this church said to me or did for me at least two or three times a week. Because it just comes up in life, right? Like life just happens. And I'm like, oh yeah. And it's helped me live my life in a way that will, that will last. And, will, and I, listen, I was only here a year. It was, I mean, it was a good year, but it was, it was only a year, right? And so I, this church gave me a gift that I'll never be able to repay and one that it's still reaping dividends. 
not only in my own life, but now in the lives of people that I've invested in as a result of being here, right? People that I've let live in my house because Nick and Lexi let, let me live in their house, right? And poured into, right? And those people are now living lives in ways that matter and that will last. And, and man, I think if you, and I pray that you, if you invest yourself deeply in this church, I pray that you'll find the same thing for your life. And, and hopefully you'll be here for more than a year. But even if you're just here a year, right? And, and I, I'm under no illusions. This church isn't perfect. I've been gone for 10 years, but I know that much, right? Nick, Nick's not perfect. I lived with him. I know that much. Uh, <laughs> um, Lexi's great, though. I mean, <laughs> um, when I moved in, Nick told me, Nick told me, you can stay here as long as my wife is happy with you being here. <laughs> He's like, I don't care what, you can, you can make me mad and do whatever you want, but if my wife likes having you here, you can stay here. So that was sort of my goal. Um, and I, I made it the whole year, so that was great. Um, and listen, if you're not sure how to get more deeply plugged into this church, I'm sure, I, I don't really know, but I heard there's a reception desk in the announcements. So, so like, I'm sure there's a very friendly person just standing out there that would love to meet you after the service. So that, that would be a good first step. Um, and, if, and just another kind of side of this, if you are already plugged in here deeply, like if you've been at this church a long time and, and you're pretty deep, you're, you're serving, you're, you're in a small group, you're doing stuff, right? You're invested deeply here. I encourage you, I, I really, I beg you to continue to live into this vision that High Point Church is of a teaching church. Because find someone to mentor. Let someone watch you live your life as you try to live a life that lasts. Someone who can learn alongside you and process with them. And as you learn how to follow Jesus and how to live into his will for your life, it's, it's critically important. And it's work that will last, right? Um, I think as I reflected on this, there's really no greater example of someone who did this than Jesus, which of course, right? Right, Jesus obeyed he lived a life that lasted by obeying the will of God, right? He emptied himself of his divinity, his, of his full knowledge of God's plans. He came to earth as a man to a backwater of the Roman Empire that didn't really matter, and to an unimportant place. He lived a life on earth, fully human in every way, a relatively short life on earth. He experienced the struggles of daily life, the difficult decisions, the temptations of life. And he, at every moment, lived according to God's w revealed will. He obeyed the commandments of God perfectly. And that led him to the cross, where he died as just another unremarkable casualty of the Roman judicial system. But he died a death that he didn't deserve willingly and obediently according to the will of God. And in doing so, he changed the course of entire, the entire human history. His life, by living for God's revealed will and according to God's plan, had enormous meaning and purpose, so much so that it gives meaning and purpose, even 2,000 years later, to the lives of anyone who believes in him. Amen. So that if you believe in him, you can have a life, live a life according to the revealed will of God that you couldn't have lived otherwise by the power of the Holy Spirit living inside of you. And your life can be full of meaning and purpose, not because of what you accomplished, not because of how good you were, not because of how, how, what great things you can do. But what you accomplish in this life will outlive you not only for a thousand years, but eter into eternity because it is folded into what God is doing in eternity. But not only will your accomplishments last forever, and I think this is really the key, not only will your accomplishments last forever because they are folded into what God is doing, but one of the reasons we want to accomplish 
what we try to accomplish is so that we'll be remembered. We don't want to be forgotten. But even if our accomplishments don't last, the beauty of the gospel is that you will be remembered. That what Jesus accomplished is the only thing that matters. And we spend our lives in futility trying to accomplish something that will last. But if you believe in Jesus, you will be remembered by the eternal God in every moment of your life, forever. Not because of your accomplishments, but because of Jesus' accomplishment on the cross. And so you are released from your striving and your futility. By faith in Jesus, you are remembered by God, and your life can be meaningful. It can last. Without Jesus, time makes everything meaningless. Just extend that horizon out far enough. Eat, drink, and be merry, because tomorrow you die. But because of Jesus, your life can mean something. What you accomplish in this life can outlive you into eternity through Jesus. And with Jesus, everything you do has meaning. And so the question remains, what will you do in your life that will last? Let's pray together. God, we... um, We sense that we sense our own mortality, the futility of our labor. God, we, we, uh, we confess the ways we try to find meaning and in, in lasting impact in life in all kinds of ways that um, when we really stop to think about it, we realize just simply aren't going to last and aren't going to matter. God, we, um, but we really, we want to live lives that last We want to do something important. God, we believe that you've given us the dignity in our humanity to do that, that you've placed the eternity in our hearts not simply for frustration, not simply so that we would fear you, though it may do that as well, Lord, but also so that we might seek you and find you and add meaning to our lives by believing in the name of Jesus. Lord, we pray that you would do that in our lives. God, I pray for anyone here who... um, is not a Christian or, or wouldn't call themselves a Christian or is new to High Point Church, God, I pray they find a home here. Um, and, um, and Lord, I, I do pray just for High Point Church in general. God, I thank you for the ministry of High Point Church over the last decade or more. Um, well, the last many decades, Lord, but especially over the last decade and their commitment to be a teaching church, the many interns and uh, residents who have come through these doors. God, thank you for the ways that they've blessed not only the Madison area with, the, with church leadership, but the, really the whole country and the whole world. Um, God, I pray that you would continue to bless the efforts um, of New North Church in that, and particularly Nick, um, as he leads that effort. Lord, we pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.